Thanks, Karen. Well, Thursday morning, as I said, when uh, we continued to look at the weather forecast and decided that we needed to go a different direction, and that meant everybody was going to have to pull things together and songs and all that goes with that, the, the, the moment dawned on me when I realized I'm going to have to preach. Um, and uh, the problem was that Thursday morning when we made that decision, I had not yet finished writing my remarks uh, for the Sandpoint High School Baccalaureate, which I spoke at on Thursday night. And so Thursday I spent doing that. Friday night, or Friday was uh, around uh, graduation and all of the things that, that happened amongst that. And so I thought, you know, hey, I've still got to preach. Um, so I never had one of those bracelets uh, that people wore, but I did wonder, what would Jesus do? Um, and, uh, and I came to the conclusion that Jesus uh, so often would tell a parable. He would tell a story. And so I want to offer you a parable this morning. But it's based uh, on the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3. Last week we were in 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, and so we just turned back a chapter to, uh, to chapter 3. Uh, we're not going to read the whole chapter this morning, although I would encourage you to. So we're going to read the beginning and the end so you get a flavor of where we're going. I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the word today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 is where I'll start. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of God given for the people of God, and we respond together by saying, thanks be to God. You can be seated. About 50 years ago, on the banks of, uh, of the Mississippi was a small little town, and in that community lived old Harry King. Uh, old Harry King had been a fixture in town as long as, as anyone could remember. Two or three times a week, you would see him around town, and he was always doing an odd job or two or three, and, and you couldn't miss him because he had the same pair of pants on and same shoes and same hat and one of three shirts, depending on what season of the year it was, except on Sundays. On Sundays, he put on a sports coat that the women's ministries at church had given him. Everyone knew that if it wasn't for Doc Johnson, who would give him odd jobs around town, Harry wouldn't have an income. And everyone knew if it wasn't for the Christensen family, who, who let him live in a cabin just two miles out of town they had on their property, if it wasn't for them, he wouldn't have a place to live. Everyone knew old Harry King, but not everybody talked to him. Some were afraid of him, and some were just mean to him. Harry had one true gift. He was a, he was a master gardener. He'd never taken a class or, or been educated on it or anything like that. It just came naturally to him. It seemed like everything he touched just sparked to life. And, and Harry's cabin had this big front porch uh, on a wraparound porch, and it was just covered with the most amazing flowers. It was beautiful. In fact, it, it was really the beauty of the porch that made the cabin look like it was livable at all. Harry'd spend hours cultivating and watering and weeding and pruning and doting over his children, he would call them. He always won first prize at the county fair for his petunias. 
He'd even have people stop him as he was walking down the street and, and they'd ask him gardening questions. What, what do I do, Harry, about my wilting p- uh, petunia or my sagging mum? And, and he always had some kind of piece of advice to offer. Harry King went to town three times a week, either to work or to get groceries or both. It's about two miles into town and he would rock, walk round trip, two miles in, two miles back. He loved to walk. Sometimes he'd catch a ride, but, but he enjoyed the walk. Well, it was a July morning in Mississippi. And the only thing close to a July morning in Mississippi in North Idaho would be if you stuck your head in a sauna for a few minutes and you might begin to understand July in Mississippi. Harry decided to go to town. Playing in the woods between Harry's cabin and the main road were four school-aged Boys doing the kind of games and doing the kind of things that boys do in the summer. And when they heard somebody was coming, they, they hid and waited on the path until they saw that it was old Harry King. And then they said, well, should we throw rocks at him? Or, or should we jump out and scare him? Or, or should we chase him to town? And, and Peter was the oldest. And Peter said, no, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. Let's just let him go. And they waited for Harry to pass by until he was a safe distance. They knew he'd be half a day walking to town and walking back. And so they followed the path deep in the woods to Harry's house. Now, the house had a fence on all sides, and, and, and they, wanted to, they wanted to get up and look in the house, but the only way in was through the gate. There was just one gate, and it was near the front porch, and they made their way in, but the windows were too tall. They couldn't quite see in, and so they had to go up on the porch. And they went up, and they peered in, and there wasn't much to see because Harry didn't have much. But as they were backing away from the windows, one of the boys accidentally knocked one of the flower pots, the clay pots down, and it smashed on the front porch and broke. And the boy sat there in silence. And the second boy reached over and grabbed the pot and knocked it down and let it break. And the third boy reached over and grabbed a pot and knocked it down and let it break. And the fourth boy did the same. And the noise from the breaking pots was like breaking glass. And the boys began to stomp on the flowers and kick the dirt all over. They'd pick up some of the petunias and they'd just circle them around until there was nothing left. The dirt had flown everywhere. And and they would grab the pots and and by the roots. They would take the the flowers in the pigment and they'd mark it on their face. And they'd take the moisture in the plants and they started writing messages on his windows. Not kind messages. What the boys didn't know is that old Harry had caught a ride to town and back with the Jansen family from the farm next door. And Harry arrived just in time to watch them throw down and break the last pot. The boys saw Harry. The problem was is there was a fence all the way around and there was only one way out through the gate. And standing in the gate with a bag of groceries was Harry. The boys said, oh, Mr. King, we didn't do this. We were, we, were, we were playing out in the woods, and we just heard a bunch of ruckus, and we ran over here just in time to see the men run away that had done this. And Harry slowly walked up the sidewalk, the boys standing in silence, just hoping and praying that Mr. King might believe their story. And when he got to them, he looked at them and said, Boys, why don't you come inside with me? The boys felt like a load of bricks had been dropped on their hopes. And the boys marched inside, and they sat down at the table in the living room where Harry would have all of his meals. And they sat in silence, 
And they heard Harry putting away the groceries in the kitchen. And they were afraid because 50 years ago in Mississippi, it was acceptable to discipline or even spank someone else's kids. And they were fearful of what was coming. There was no air conditioning on the banks of the Mississippi 50 years ago. And the boys were just sure as they sat at that table in that warm house that this was just a window, just a taste of what hell feels like. Sitting and waiting and sweating And the sweat dripped off their heads. And finally the clattering in the dishes uh, in the kitchen stopped. And there was just silence. And they couldn't take the silence after a while. And and one of the boys uh, yelled out, Mr. King, it was Peter's idea. And Peter says, oh yeah, but you did it too. And one of the boys with tears in his eyes said, oh, Mr. King, we're so sorry. Just don't tell our parents. Still no word from Harry. But then they heard the shuffling of his feet. They heard him coming down the hall, and they tensed up. And he walked around the corner, and the boy's eyes got as big as dinner plates, for his arms were full of four huge, overflowing bowls of vanilla ice cream. And he sat the bowls down in front of each boy. One of the bowls had more ice cream than any of the others. That one he put in front of Peter. And he said, boys, it's hot out today. You should eat some ice cream. And then let's go outside and clean things up and we'll get to know each other a little better. You see, somewhere in old Harry King's life, he had experienced the meaning of grace. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our oldest son, Lake, graduated from high school Friday night. And, uh, you know, as you know, on on those kind of occasions, it's customary to to send out invitations. And so we we didn't send many. We just made about 50 and just sent to, to a few family members and some some folks who, uh, who know Lake well. And, um, and yet, even though we weren't sending very many, I put a whole bunch of time into it. Because I, I really wanted it to, to capture this, this invitation. I, I wanted it to capture a bit of who Lake is. I mean, this invitation is going to, you know, uh, great uncles and great aunts and people who haven't spent much time with him. My, my hope was that, that you, could, you could look at the invitation and you could, you could read the story a little bit and, and, and you would learn a little bit of who Lake is. Just as the service was starting, one minute before we started, he texted me and he just landed in Miami, uh, Florida, uh, where uh, he and the high school choir are boarding a boat for the Bahamas where they'll be singing on a cruise uh, for the week. Tough life. (laughs) 
But even though he's in Florida, my hope would be that you could look at these pictures and you could read his story and you would understand a little bit of who he is. And it begs the question, when people see your life, who do they see? Who do they get a glimpse of? Harry King was a living invitation, a glimpse of God, a living letter written to others proclaiming the grace of God. You know, the New Testament is full of Paul's letters to various churches, and, and sometimes those letters are, are written to specific situations in a specific church, but, but a lot of times his letters are full of great general guidelines for churches or, or what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how to live. And, and Paul was calling the church at Corinth, as the scripture says, to be living letters, to be a living invitation to those that are around you. A living testimony of what God has done in your life and what God is doing in your life. Transforming us. Growing us to be the people that he has created us to be. And beyond that, that the way we live our lives and the way we interact with others and especially how we respond to the things that are done to us. That we would live a reflection of the God who is an invitation of hope, peace, and freedom And that we might be that living invitation to those that are around us. By how we live our life, what are we inviting others to be? I think that's an interesting question. By how we live our life, what are we inviting others to be? By by how we live our life, who are we inviting others to see? Our life is a testimony. Every one of our lives is a testimony. There's just no doubt. The question is, what is it a testimony to? Every one of our lives testifies to something. Who is it a testimony to? Old Harry King was a living testimony to God's grace and what that looks like when it's poured out in your life. A living letter, a living invitation to others to be a reflection and a glimpse of how the Heavenly Father looks at us. So what is it that our lives and how we live it ought to be inviting people to? Very simply, we're inviting them to experience the God of old Harry King. That no matter what you've done or no matter where you have been, God invites you to come to his table. And he outpours this undeserved grace upon your life. A God whose chief concern is that he wants you to know him better. Jesus sat at the table with the disciples He sat at the table with the disciples that were full around the table of guys who were not perfect, uh, knowing that there was was one who sat at the table who would deny him. There was one who sat at the table who would would betray him. And yet he takes the bread and the drink, and he knows what lies ahead, and he shows them the ultimate grace. God, wronged by our sin, poured out grace on the cross. That no matter where you find yourself, The God of the universe loves you beyond words, even to the point of giving his life. So what's all that say? What does all that say to us this morning? I I would say this. I think every one of us is in one of two camps, and, and, and there are probably a number of us who have a foot in both camps today. First, 
You've been invited to sit at the table. But you know you don't deserve it. And you aren't sure what God is going to say to you. I want you to hear this. No matter who you are, the reason you are asked to sit at the table is not to expose your wrongs. The reason you are asked to sit at the table is for God to expose his grace. I've got a well-meaning Christian friend who posted on Facebook this week that God's love isn't reckless, but is only available for those who've accepted him. And that we do a disservice when we tell non-believers that he loves them. And I know that there are plenty of churches that feel that way, but, but you need to know that's not what we believe in the Church of Nazarene. We believe in God's provenient grace. We believe in grace that goes before. We believe that God is calling and reaching and chasing after those even that are running from him. You remember the parable of, of Jesus and the, and the tossing of the seed? There were those who said that the, that the farmer, when he threw his seed on the hard ground, that that was reckless. But God pours his love out with reckless abandonment, whether it is deserved or not. And the world might call it reckless, but it's a God who loves with a purpose. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, you can have that forgiveness today if you ask for it. If you'll confess what you've done, he is faithful and just to forgive you, and he invites you to come sit at the table. Or maybe you're in the second camp this morning. You know, it's easy when we hear the story of Harry King, it's easy for us to place ourselves in the position of the children. In fact, when I first wrote it, that's kind of where I was going until the Lord helped me see a little different way. That I think God is calling us to be a people who also sit on the other side of the table with Harry. Your life, my life, needs to look more like a living invitation, a better and stronger representation of his love by our actions and our life. We are called to be a living invitation of grace and forgiveness. The grace and forgiveness that's been given to us ought to be what is written on our heart so plainly and so clearly that it just comes across in all the situations of our life. And we don't do it on our own. We don't have the strength to do that on our own. The letter is written by him, but we've constantly got to be holding ourselves up to him, spending time with him, worshiping him, inviting him to write this letter of grace upon our hearts. The musicians are going to come, and we're going to come to the table. The way old Harry King lived reflected God's grace poured out on those that were around him. He was a living invitation. The question for us this morning is, in the week that lies ahead of you, are you walking so close to him that you can't help but be a living letter of grace? Because I guarantee you what, Somebody's going to knock your pot off this week. It's going to happen. Will you decide 
to be a living letter of grace. We're invited to sit at the table. We're invited to sit at the table not to expose our wrongs. We're invited to sit to the table so that God can expose his grace. And then we're called to go from the table and serve. In a moment, when you're ready, I want to invite you. Come to the table. Come not in fear of who you've been or what you've done. Come to the table of grace. And allow the table of grace to be so written on your hearts that wherever you go this week, who you are this week, becomes a living letter, a living invitation to the God who is transforming us. As you come, I want to encourage you to listen to the words, sing the words, read the words on the screen as we experience his table this morning. Father, we give thanks that you invite us to come to the table, not because we deserve it. In fact, you invite us to the table because we don't deserve it. And we can come to the table today not in fear. We can come to the table today because you love And your grace has been so outpoured on us. When we come today, we come as a celebration of a God who invites us and a God who loves us. That grace might be imparted in our lives and that the letter might be written more clearly upon our hearts. So that we go from this place empowered by that grace. Oh God, hear our prayer as we give ourselves to you. spoke a word you were singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me You have been so, so kind to me. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. And I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. 
was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, Lie, you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie, you won't tear down, coming after me. And all the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. Not I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Till I'm found, leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. And oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. We sit at the table of God. Invited. 
not in fear, but a God who wants to expose his grace. Thanks be to God. Father, we are humbled this morning. First, to be invited to your table. And to realize that the reason you've invited us is not because you want to take us to task. Because we know our guilt. We know the sin of the past. We know. But you invite us to the table so that you can show us just how deep your love is. And God, my prayer is that we could be so transformed by how deep your love is that we couldn't help but be a people who are living invitations to that love. That you would write so deeply upon our hearts that this week, whatever we face, whatever plant gets knocked down, that we would be a people who love the way you love and see others the way you see them and give grace even when it's not deserved. Father, thank you that in joy we leave the table today to look more like you've called us to be, to serve, to live, and to love in ways that are invitations to your grace. So, Father, I pray blessing on each man and woman and child here that this week would be a week that we would draw closer to you and look more like you. I pray blessing into the circumstances that we walk into, that we might be mindful of what it means to be a letter, an invitation to the greatest banquet table of all time. May there be those who come to the kingdom because the invitation they received were the lives that were sitting in this room. May there be children who come to the table. May there be grandchildren who come to the table because some folks in this room were faithful over and over again, even when they thought no one was watching and especially when they didn't think their kids cared. God, may we so look like you that there might be days that some might be confused. May the glory of God rest upon his people and upon his church. With great joy and thanksgiving, we say together, amen and amen. Lord bless you as you go this week to live grace. Chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. And oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God.